Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96, Comcast Xfinity, and Channel 30, Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. Five Things to Know About Marijuana in Massachusetts by Jerry Tufty. One year after Massachusetts voters passed a ballot question legalizing marijuana, legal pot sales remain several months away. State legislators are working to lay the groundwork for a new retail pot industry, and lawmakers in July passed a new law that tweaks the measure of voters approved last year. Here are five things to know about the legal status of marijuana one year after the 2016 vote. Possession of limited quantities of marijuana has been legal in Massachusetts since last December, but it remains against the law for anyone without a retail license to sell pot for recreational use. Since the Cannabis Control Commission is still setting regulations, retail sales aren't expected to begin until July of 2018. It's legal under state law to give up to give up an ounce of marijuana as a gift, as long as no compensation is received. When retail sales begin, pot will be subject to up to 20% in combined state and local taxes. In cities and towns where the majority of voters oppose the 2016 ballot question to legalize marijuana, the Municipal Council or Board of Selectmen can ban retail sales. In communities where the majority of voters favored legislation in 2016, a popular referendum is required to ban or limit retail pot sales. Adults 21 and older can legally possess up to one ounce of marijuana on their person, but no more than five grams of a marijuana concentrate. You can have up to 10 ounces of pot in your primary home, but it has to be locked in a secure location. Five quarters collectively weigh approximately one ounce, and a nickel weighs five grams. The public consumption of pot is illegal, period. State law prohibits people from using the drug in places that have banned tobacco use. Employees are allowed to ban marijuana use at the workplace. You can legally smoke pot on your own property, but it can get complicated if you rent. Landlords are allowed through lease agreements to explicitly prohibit smoking and growing marijuana on their property. The state law, however, does not allow landlords to bar tenants from consuming smoke-free marijuana products such as edibles on the property unless failing to ban such consumption would cause the landlord to violate federal law. State law allows adults to grow their own marijuana at home. 
There's a limit of six plants per adult over 21 or 12 per household. The plants must be grown in an area that is equipped with a lock or secure device. They cannot be visible from a public place with an unaided eye or without the use of an aircraft. People processing their homegrown pot at home to make an extract cannot legally use a liquid or gas other than alcohol. That has a flash point below 100 degrees. Smoking pot while driving or operating a vehicle while under the influence of marijuana products, including edibles, remains illegal. It is also against the law to have an open container or unsealed package of marijuana or marijuana products in a car, unless it is in the trunk. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Community preservation funds are sought for six projects by Joanna K. Zovalis and Christy Armstrong. There are six applications seeking funding from the Belmont Community Preservation Committee for fiscal year 2018, ranging from $5,000 for designs for a Payson Park musical festival bandstand to $780,000 to construct an intergenerational walking path at Grove Street Park. Grove Street Intergenerational Walking Path. Donna Ruvolo is spearheading a proposal for revitalizing the Grove Street Park to improve the overall look and feel for everyone in the community to enjoy. We'd like to create improvements while preserving as much open space as possible, said Ruvolo. Included in the renovations would be reworking the park's main entrance to make it ADA compliant and accessible to people with mobility issues, implementing a new landscaping plan to provide more shade and creating more integrated ways for people to socialize, including a six-foot-wide walking path, benches, and a seating area. Belmont's Recreation Commission and Belmont Youth Baseball have also been involved in plans for a batting cage and warm-up box. The $35,000 construction site plan was approved last year by the CPC and the Grove Street Renovation Committee has been working with the Belmont Department of Public Works to bring the project to fruition. Townfield Playground Restoration. The playground at Townfield last had an update in 1997, and with so many people using Townfield, especially during the spring and fall soccer seasons, a group led by Belmont resident Courtney Eldridge is requesting $180,000 to replace the old playground with new ADA-compliant equipment. Eldridge said that the scope of the project will be kept small, with the renovations happening only within the footprint of the existing playground area, and the fence being replaced on three sides, as the fourth side has existing tennis court fencing. The Recreation Department and the Community Preservation Committee are supportive of the proposal. McLean Barn. Belmont's Office of Community Development, Historic District Commission, and Land Management Committee for Lone Tree Hill jointly 
filed the application seeking $200,000 of CPA funds to implement emergency work to stabilize the building envelope, ensuring it is protected and arrest further deterioration. The McLean Barn, located on 4.6 acres on Mill Street, directly south of Rock Meadow, is a historic structure built circa 1915 and formerly part of the McLean Farm. It is listed on the National Register of Historic Places as part of the McLean Farm National Register District, according to Lauren Meyer, co-chairman of the Historic District Commission. In 2005, McLean Hospital transferred the property to the town of Belmont. Now, here's part two with Max. Thanks, Claire. Yes. Veterans Memorial Restoration and Enhancement. The Belmont Veterans Memorial Committee is seeking $103,000 to help restore and enhance the memorial dedicated in 1940, located at Clay Pit Pond in the park de designed by Loring Underwood. It is one of several veterans m memorials in Belmont, but it is the only one located in an area suited for quiet contemplation. The historic memorial shows the wear and tear of its 77 years. The wall is falling, stones are discolored, and mortar is chipping out. Brush is also growing over the structure and could compromise the integrity of the wall. The flagpole is also aging and the bronze plaque is pitted. The funds will restore the existing monument to its original condition. The wall will be taken down, stones preserved and cleaned where possible, and the walls will be rebuilt to the same specifications. The flagpole will be replaced with a historically accurate pole and then an identical bronze plaque will replace the one that cannot be restored. <coughs> housing Trust. According to Judith Fines of the Belmont Housing Trust, a draft housing production plan was recently completed which shows that nearly 25% of Belmont's current households are eligible for affordable housing. More than 40% of renters and nearly 30% of current homeowners are cost-burdened, meaning they pay more than 30% of their income for housing. Belmont's housing prices have increased by more than 40% since 2009. Fine said the housing production plan also identifies locations throughout Belmont where development opportunities exist to meet these housing needs, fit within the town's neighborhoods, support economic development, and preserve open space. Payson Park Music Festival Bandstand. Tommy Olson, founder of the Payson Park Music Festival, is requesting funds for a design study to construct a bandstand for the Payson Park Music Festival to provide performers with co coverage and electricity and to protect their instruments and equipment from sudden changes in weather. A concrete slab for the performers was put in about 13 years ago, but the issue remains that last-minute cancellations due to weather are problematic and costly, according to Olson. This Belmont concert series has been going on for 27 years, with a large number of concerts per season, 11 evening concerts and 4 Friday morning concerts, bringing in 300 to 400 residents for each evening event. The bandstand structure would go over the existing concrete slab and would have a woodland look to keep the area as park-like as possible. It would include an acoustical ceiling and have handicap access. 
Olson is requesting $5,000 for an architectural design study and will seek community input to create a design that abutters can support. Once the design study is complete, the project will be costed out and Olson will come back to the CPA next year for project funding. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. A look at the highlights of 2017. Interim Town Administrator reflects on the major accomplishments in 2017 by Joanna K. Zuvalis. The Belmont Citizen Herald asked Interim Town Administrator Phyllis Marshall to reflect on what she believes Belmont's major accomplishments were in 2017 and what future major initiatives and issues the town will address in 2018. Marshall provided the following list of highlights for 2017. The Belmont High School Building Committee formed the project team as required to complete Module 2 of the Massachusetts School Building Authority, MSBA, building process. The owner's project manager is Daedalus Projects, Incorporated, and the designer is Perkins and Will. These firms are experienced in working with the MSBA process and have been working with Belmont officials and the community as we move forward through the feasibility study process with the MSBA Module 3 for the Belmont High School, said Marshall. Belmont Municipal Light continues to plan the work to complete transmission line work and retirement of the three substations located at 450 Concord Avenue, Hittinger Street, and next to the Chenery Middle School over the next five years. The Blair Pond substation project was completed at the end of 2016. The Community Path Implementation Committee worked with PAIR, P-A-R-E, consulting to present a recommendation on the feasibility of optional routes for the community path from the Cambridge line through Belmont to the Waltham line and possible funding options that may be available. The result of their work was presented to the Board of Selectmen for approval. Funding will be required for the next steps. The Belmont Water Department for the third year in a row has received an award from the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection for its outstanding performance as a public water system. The town adopted and implemented the 25 mile per hour speed limit. The construction of a new press box at Harris Field was completed. Special home rule legislation prohibited alcohol license transfer was approved. Going forward, all uh, alcohol licenses will return to the Board of Selectmen. Building committees were appointed for a schematic design for short-term solutions at the public works and police station facilities and a new library building. Renewal of the cable television license with Verizon New England Incorporated for a five-year term was executed. The town received a bronze award for design of the Belmont Street and Trapello Road Transportation Improvement Project. The Belmont Center Parking Management Plan was implemented. Solar parking meters are now being used along Leonard Street. 
signage was installed in the Kaflin Street parking lot with instruction and fee information. The former incinerator site located on Concord Avenue was conveyed to the town by the state, was convened to the town by the state. Future uses will be determined. The town needs to pay for the capping of the site. Board of Selectmen Chairman Jim Williams also weighed in on the major happenings for Belmont in 2017, and at the top of his list is the more than 50% reduction of the OPEB liability by $96.7 million, thanks to the hard work and efforts of the Accounting Department and OPEB Study Committee led by retired selectman Ralph Jones and Siegel Consulting. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Town and Schools Facility Director Retires by Joanna K. Zuvalis. Director of Facilities Gerald Boyle, 62, officially retired on December 29th from his position created after the consolidation of the Town and School Facility Departments. He was hired four years ago with 30 years of previous experience in the field, most recently for the town of Winthrop. His biggest responsibility has been maintaining the buildings and managing capital improvements for the town and Belmont Public Schools. Boyle describes himself as a stickler for de details, a fast learner, and good at juggling multiple projects. He uses the analogy of spinning plates on sticks from the Ed Sullivan Show to describe his position. He compares it to how the guy would spin one plate, then put the second one on and spin it, and a third one on and spin it. The first one would start to wobble and slow down, and he used to go back and wiggle the stick to make it spin again. When you have too many projects to manage, you really can't give each one the appropriate amount of effort that it should have, and you sort of end up running from spinning a plate and spinning a plate and just getting it before it falls apart. That's been the biggest burden we've had here is that we just haven't had the people to give the full effort of management, and it's been a real struggle to have to run from plate to plate, said Boyle. Cindy Papa has been working as Boyle's administrative coordinator for the facilities department since 2014. Quote, I'm going to miss his sense of humor, his consistency, and the ease about him. Even under stress, he is very respectful to people and tries to juggle all the projects at once and give everybody the same attention, which is difficult, said Papa. She said Boyle is definitely one of the best managers she has had. Accomplishments. Boyle feels gratified about what he was able to accomplish in four years, understanding that there is still a lot more to do. He said one of the greatest highlights during this time has been helping Belmont become part of the state green community program, which has helped the town become eligible for up to $250,000 in grants annually. This year, grant money helped fund the boiler replacement at the Burbank in Winbrook and ceiling insulation at the library. His office has also helped apply for a grant for electrical vehicles from the state, which are currently being used by his departments. 
the health and water departments for in-town trips. There are many other projects he helped with, including the Harris Field Press Box and currently the restoration at the fire station. Challenges. Boyle faced many challenges in his career with Belmont, such as updating the fire alarm system at the Belmont High School, adding six modular classrooms at the Chenery Middle School, and most recently working on the contract for four additional modular classrooms at the Burbank Elementary School. When chloramine levels at the Belmont High School Higginbottom Pool were testing high the summer of 2013, the entire pool needed to be drained, cleaned, and repaired. An ultraviolet filter was added to the water line for the pool, which has helped reduce the chloramine levels. He said the pool should be drained and cleaned every five years. Another challenge Boyle dealt with most recently was lead testing of all the fixtures in the Belmont Public School buildings. His department did a representative sample of all the water in the Belmont Public School buildings to test for lead when the issue was first in the news. And now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Veterans Memorial receives $100,000 matching grant by Ellen Schreiber. Once again, the Belmont Savings Bank Foundation has left an indelible mark on the town. Last month, a $100,000 check was given to the Belmont Veterans Memorial Committee when the committee successfully raised another $100,000 to match the foundation's challenge grant. The grant will fund a significant portion of the $350,000 project to restore and enhance the Veterans Memorial at Clay Pit Pond. And with the matching donations, it puts the committee well past the halfway point. Quote, the Belmont Savings Bank Foundation understood the importance of the memorial for Belmont's veterans, their families, and the entire Belmont community, unquote, said Angelo Firenze, chairman of the Belmont Veterans Memorial Committee and a former Belmont selectman. Bob Morrissey, chairman of the foundation board, pointed to the vision of the Veterans Memorial Committee as the inspiration behind the $100,000 matching grant. The memorial is for the entire Belmont community, said Morrissey. The project is bringing people together to pay tribute to Belmont's veterans and create an important public space for Belmont residents. We are a community bank with a long history in the Belmont community, and this is exactly the kind of support we want we want to support. Sorry, kind of project we want to support, excuse me. At 77 years old, the existing Veterans Memorial at Clay Pit Pond is showing its age. The stone wall is largely concrete patches. The structure is compromised, and the brass plaque is beyond repair. In its current shape, the memorial does not properly honor the memories of our servicemen and women. The memorial project will restore the historical monument to its original condition, and new memorial stones will honor the contributions of Belmont veterans in each individual military conflict since the town's founding in 1859. The enhanced memorial will also be a focal point along the soon-to-be-built intergenerational walking path around Clay Pit Pond, with benches for quiet rest and contemplation. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Clean water advocate, flow of info, a public health risk, by Dan Atkinson and Jordan Graham. The state keeps mostly paper records that are not readily accessible 
on when and where millions of gallons of raw sewage pours into Bay State Rivers, a public health failure that needs to be fixed, clean water advocates said. About 2.8 billion gallons of untreated wastewater runs into the state's rivers every year, despite decades of efforts to fix antiquated drainage systems. The State Department of Environmental Protection collects annual reports on how much tainted water has passed through more than 180 combined sewer overflows, pipes that allow wastewater to dump right into rivers, but that data is organized in one central pl- not organized in one central place. Most of those reports are submitted in paper form, and that information is not currently aggregated said uh, DEP spokesman Edmund Coletta. Mass Department is, the Mass DEP is reviewing ways that the information can be aggregated. Legislation filed by State Senator Patricia D. Jellin, a Democrat from Somerville, would require DEP to alert residents whenever an overflow occurs and publicly post overflow data on day on daily basis and maintain that information for at least 10 years providing that critical information needs to happen as soon as possible said Gabby Queenan of the Massachusetts Rivers Alliance this is a public health risk having this information in a more transparent way on DEP's website needs to be prioritized Queenan said Unfortunately, DEP has staffing and resource limitations, which we're sympathetic to, but this can't sit on the back burner any longer. Last autumn, a storm slammed 8 million gallons of wastewater into the Merrimack River when a Lawrence sewage treatment plant lost power, and 32 million gallons of untreated sewage spilled into the river after the heavy rains overwhelmed a low filtration system. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Social Worker Nun Starts Home for Sex Trafficked Survivors by Maureen Dale, news contributor. Although the topic is most often discussed in relation to poor countries, modern-day slavery, also known as human trafficking, exists in the United States, too. Because of its secretive nature, it is difficult to know exactly how many victims human trafficking imparts each year, although estimates are in the tens of thousands. One new program designed to help women survivors of sex trafficking is a residential healing home that will soon open near Sioux City, Iowa. The project is being led by Sister Shirley Finneran, licensed social worker, an assistant professor of social work at Briarcliff University in Sioux City, Iowa. She has taught social work for more than 25 years and has been an active volunteer in peace, justice, and women's issues for more than 50 years as a Catholic nun. Recognizing a need, understanding the complexities. After attending a human trafficking conference, Finneran realized this was an area of great need she had not been tuned into before. 
she said she felt compelled to do more, so helped form the Siouxland Coalition Against Human Trafficking. Shortly after, she met a woman who was sex trafficked at age 15 and is now a social worker in her 50s who helps other victims. She had been left for dead when she was found by the police, Finneran explains. Despite this, she told me she knows where her trafficker lives, and if he asked her to come with him today, she might do so. I was in shock and disbelief, but it helped me begin to understand the deep control and trauma that victims and survivors experience. After praying about what path to take, Finneran felt called to form a safe home for survivors, laying the groundwork, mapping out a plan. As a social work leader, Finneran had the background necessary to move the project forward, but knew it would take time and hard work. She set a goal of two and a half years. In July 2015, she invited community members to discuss the idea and how best to move forward. The group consisted of domestic abuse shelter social workers, trauma therapists, law enforcement, community activists, residential care social work managers, child advocacy center staff, and others who wanted to help. Four immediate tasks were to develop a board of directors, locate a potential site, raise money, and file paperwork as a nonprofit organization, and incorporate as the same. They realized they were in a challenging spot when they submitted applications for grants. Without an existing house, they couldn't get support. But without support, they couldn't afford a house. Lila May's house. In late October 2016, a homeowner interested in donating a house and 35-acre property contracted Finneran. An agreement was made, and the organization gained ownership of on July, January 30th of this year, naming the home Lila May's house after the donor. The house and property sit on a hill at the outskirts of our small city. It is a place of healing, Finneran said. Currently, they are working to raise $300,000 to finish the basement, adding five bedrooms and two bathrooms. Although funding has been challenging, resources are coming in from a variety of sources, including foundations, generous individuals, and fundraisers. Finneran said the goal is to start construction soon and accept up to seven survivors. Now on to Max. Thanks, Claire. Launch Assault on Bugs with Plastic Shotgun by Johanna Alvarez. Killing flies and cockroaches is no longer a disagreeable task after the invention of the bug assault, a plastic shotgun that fires salt at the bugs, knocking them out and leaving them ready for the garbage. An advertising video for the gun has become popular recently in social networks because of its humor. The short commercial pokes fun at absurd television infomercials and action movies. The video shows inventor Lorenzo Maggiore firing the plastic shotgun from various positions, including from behind a tree. But the product's real job is to kill flies without damaging anything around them. All the shots end with a slow-motion sequence of the insects being knocked out. 
Skell Incorporated, which sells the product, hit the market in 2012 after Maggiore he launched a fundraising campaign on Indiegogo.com. His video attracted clients and media reports around the world. By the end of that year, the California-based company had received orders for more than 20,000 units and raised $577,000. Those are the last sales numbers made public. Bug Assault, spelled the way it sounds, which fires regular salt table salt, sells for at least $40 on Amazon and its own web page. Its latest model includes a laser scope to improve the shooter's aim. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont. <laughs>